Welcome to It's Real with Jordan Edwards, episode 31 with Pom Pom Squad. Pom Pom Squad is the solo project of singer-songwriter Mia Barron. During quarantine, Mia recorded a cover of the 60s classic, Crimson and Clover. There's also a video which you can view on the Pom Pom Squad YouTube channel. In addition to the cover, the band is also working on new original music. So here it is, episode 31 with Pom Pom Squad. How you doing, Mia? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I just want to compliment you. I, you know, you put out that that cover of, of Crimson and Clover, really good. I got to ask, why did you pick that song? Because that's a really famous song. It's been covered by a lot of people. So why did you pick that song? Tell me about that cover. Yeah, um, I picked that song because, especially while I've been in quarantine. Um, I've been in this huge phase with like 60s, uh, well, 50s, 60s, and 70s pop music, kind of more novelty sounding stuff. And I just thought the production of that song, especially the original version, was so weird. <laughs> uh, I love that it creates this sort of discomfort, um, even in these lyrics that are about love and beauty, and uh, especially with Pride Month and thinking about Joan Jett's cover, I kind of wanted to marry the two so from a queer female perspective but also weird yeah (laughs) well it's it's strange like there was a time in the 60s during that psychedelic era where there were some really weird songs that became hits and weird parts and songs like the breakdown in crimson and clover where there were the vocals like you know in that uh kind of echoey effect what did you do sonically to kind of make it your own like from your end from a production standpoint yeah, so this is the first song that I've actually ever um, produced solely as Pom Pom Squad. So from a production standpoint, you know, to make it my own, I was playing with this kind of noise scream sections. Uh, I completely took out the whole major chord section that I just think is really dorky and not fun and ruins the kind of creepy vibe of the song for me. Um, yeah, and it was just kind of playing with never used a uh, tremolo on any of my songs, which is the effect that gets the vocal to sound like that and guitars to sound that kind of echoey feel that you described. Um, so playing around with that, kind of doing a like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory creepy uh, background vocal situation. And then just putting in these kind of like lower bass, like pitch down doubles for those, just wanting everything to have this underlying feeling of tension. Um, I've been thinking a lot about the way that people make horror movie soundtracks and the way that that's kind of uh, emotionally manipulates the listener and kind of puts you in the headspace of this sort of like, you don't know why you feel tense, but you do. So that's kind of what I wanted to play with on my version. And the, and the, and the music video is really rad too. You, and it's on the Pom Pom Squad YouTube channel you've kind of mixed in your previous videos, you've mixed more high end, you know, quality cinematography with the kind of VHS DIY feel. And you really went far, went, went, went far with this video. And what I really like about it is there's been a lot of quarantine isolation, self-made videos, and they range from trying too hard to look slick to amateur to the point where you can hardly watch it. And this one's really hits a sweet spot 
and um, and you've got some really cool aesthetics and camera movement, and the styling's really cool. The, your outfits that you're wearing. So tell me about putting together the video. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I came up with the idea for the video just kind of based around stuff I already had in my house. Uh, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, especially right now because. You know, in our past videos, I've had a really heavy hand in, I mean, directing and styling, I mean, always styling, but directing, I usually worked with somebody else. Um, and this was the first time I was kind of like, you know what, I can just, I, I mean, I have to figure it out because there's not much of an option otherwise. Um, but it was fun. So my partner and I pulled up in my office, which I turned into this live streaming space, which was that AstroTurf and like school background set that you see throughout the video. Um, and I just found uh, these like Valentine's Day teddy bears and chocolate, you know, cases. And I used a couple of sculptures by uh, a friend of mine, Bailey, who is just an incredible artist and makes those kind of fucked up looking cakes that uh, that I've been using in a lot of my photos and videos. So it was fun to sort of, I mean, it, it essentially, it's funny because the whole aesthetic of that video feels like my office and my room, <laughs> my room. Uh, so it kind of is a fun like journey into my living space, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where, where did the, the cheerleader, the grunge cheerleader, I guess, for lack of a better term, where did that vibe come from that aesthetic that you brought into Pom Pom Squad? Where did that come from? The story that I always tell around that is that, you know, when I was growing up, I lived in Orlando, Florida for the bulk of the time that I was a teenager after moving around a lot. And it was my first experience with like sort of upper, upper, not even upper middle class, but like upper class people. Fancy <laughs> people. And I ended up in this private school um, with all of these really well off kids. And it was, it was kind of a culture shock because all of this stuff that I thought was like fantasy made for TV and movies about like football players and cheerleaders and you know, popular kids was was really, really real. And it was all these kind of white friend groups and this white narrative that is pushed so um, heavily in media. It's like the only story you get for the most part. When you think of like a high school movie, you know, I can't really name a mainstream high school movie that doesn't have that hierarchy of like the cheerleaders, the cool kids, the, you know, the losers, the stoners, the whatever. And so that was my first, like, I was like, oh shit, this exists. Like, this is a real thing. And then the same way, like, media becomes pervasive and you're kind of like, well, if this is the only story I'm seeing, this must be the only story that exists. I was in this very real life moment of not seeing myself anywhere, not seeing space for myself in the life that I was actually living. Um, and cheerleaders for me stood out as this kind of, like, ideal character of what you're supposed to be as a young woman. Um, if you're, like, feminine... Uh, and if you're like straight, uh, which I thought I was, no, not really. But, you know, these things that you're supposed to do, which is like look pretty, like men, be skinny, you know, be like the all-American girl, like be down with everything. Um, and I was kind of like, well, that's not me. And so I kind of started playing around with the idea of like, well, what if I just put myself in the costume? What if I just put myself in that position? And how does it change the way that people start to perceive me? And how does like, making that a punk persona fuck with people's perceptions of what femininity are is and what you know 
women are allowed to do. Right on. Now, obviously, you're a musician. Aesthetics are one thing, but the music is really what counts here. And I love your guitar sound. And if anyone who's listened to this podcast knows, I love like asking where sounds came from. And you have that, you have a messiness to your guitar, but it's also very intentional. So tell me how you developed your guitar sound. Thank you. Um, how did I develop my guitar sound? Well, when I was like a, a early teenager, like when I was maybe 13 or 14, all of the boys in my middle school could play guitar and that was kind of like the way they impressed girls. Uh, that really bothered me. <laughs> and maybe it was secretly just because I wanted to impress girls, but I was like, I want to play guitar. I don't want anyone to have that kind of power over me. I don't want to feel like that's something that I can't do. Um, so I went to summer camp and I bullied a, an adult male camp counselor to teach me how to play guitar. Uh, and he told me that my hands were too small, so he refused to continue teaching me. So I went home and I started teaching myself. Which, That's such a dumb thing to say. So only yeah, people with larger hands can play guitar. That's so dumb. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, it is, it is a dumb thing to say. And it's good to emphasize how dumb that is because you'd be surprised at how many young girls and non-men have told me that, that someone said the same thing to them and it stopped them from playing. It's, it is important to say how truly dumb that is because there are literally, they, there have been people that have like been born with two fingers and still play the guitar. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. but yeah, I mean, it was hard to, for me to find a teacher who was willing to teach me and I, uh, I just was kind of like, I'm gonna teach myself. So my process of learning was through a lot of trial and error and uh, I think that mistakes are important. I don't, I'm not, it, I'm not interested ultimately in perfection. I think it's a trait that's ingrained in us as artists or as performers and especially people who are marginalized to kind of be like, well, to be respected, I have to be perfect. I have to be the best singer. I have to be the best guitarist. Um, so I like to like, I mean, and I hold, I hold myself to that pressure too, in a, you know, in a lot of ways, but I think at my best, I need to do what serves a song rather than, you know, make sure I play the part perfectly or make sure that I hit the note perfectly. Um, so I think maybe that's where that comes from is one, you know, I'm still learning in a lot of ways. And two, you know, I'm not, I'm not the type of person who's going to redo the take, you know, to get the note more perfect if the emotion is there. Did you have any guitar influences? Like who did you listen to while, cause everyone has when they're playing guitar, the, the story goes that the kind of the cliche is that you had a song or a couple songs that you, that you tried to play, play along with to help yourself learn. So what were you listening to as you were developing that sound? My early guitar inspirations were Weezer songs. I used to learn how to play a lot of Weezer songs. And then I think as I got older, um, learning like Mitski's parts and learning her bass lines, um, uh, Hole and Courtney Love have always been a huge sonic influence on me. You know, I just like a really heavy grunge sound and then, you know, where the Weezer stuff comes in, it's, I don't know, there's something kind of awkward about it. Like, it's it's weird to say that an interval or like a note sounds awkward, but there's just this kind of, I don't know, there's this kind of clashing sound to the way that they construct their chord progressions that always really appealed to me. So now at Pom Pom Squad, you know, it's, it's sort of a solo project, but you, it's more of a band at this point, right? Do you consider it a band and not a solo project? 
I think that's a really amorphous question because my band, it's like, it's one of these weird things where I call it a solo project in that I write all the songs. Um, and in that it seems to make really, it, it makes people really uncomfortable when I call it a solo project because I don't think that they're like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I don't see a lot of, um, especially women of color led solo projects under band name that people are like, oh yeah. Like the same way that like Snail Mail is Lindsay Jordan and like Sophie Allison is Soccer Mommy. Like, it's funny that whenever people ask me about it being a solo project, it's kind of like, but it's a band, right? And it's like, not to no shade to you, but it's interesting to me that that's not a question that I see come up for a lot of other. I think as inter- people who are interviewing, we want concrete answers. And sometimes the answers aren't concrete, you know? Yeah. No, of course not. I mean, the you know, ultimately, so my band is Shelby Keller, who plays the drums, um, Alex Mercury, who plays lead guitar, and Mariali Friedman, who plays bass. They are my family. They are my collaborators. I love them intensely, and they are my permanent bandmates. But on a technical level, it's a solo project. Now, it's been about a year since you released your, since you released Al, um, yeah. which was your last recording. And you released a single earlier this year, and you've done the covers. You did a, a cover of Cellophane, FK Twigs, which was also amazing. So what is next for you? What kind of stuff are you recording? Um, I'm working on some stuff I'm really excited about. I don't know when it's going to happen. So you have I, that look on your face that when you, when you ask someone about someone they're dating and they're really smitten, that's kind well, of the, the look that you have on your face right now. It's that feeling for sure. I'm so excited to actually, to, for when I actually get to kind of dig into um, that conversation. But um, I will say that I'm playing with some new sounds and playing with some new production ideas. Um, at its heart, it's still, I feel like what the people who fell in love with my music will love about it still. Uh, but I'm thinking a lot about the historical context of rock and indie rock music, um, where those songs come from, who they were originally made for and by, and trying to kind of make this crazy mind meld of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do, I, I, I gotta say, your voice is very versatile. You can do the Courtney Love, snarly, screamy type stuff, and then you can really smooth it out. Have you, vocally, besides, we talked about your guitar sound, but vocally, do you feel like you're growing and kind of stretching the boundaries of what your voice can do? Yeah, I think I struggle a lot with being insecure about my abilities as like a technical singer. And this, the new stuff has been actually really challenging in that there's melody parts that I'm writing and I'm like, okay, I actually have to learn how to sing this. Like, singing it beyond just writing a melody and singing it, but like performing it, the places that you have to breathe, the way that you control your voice. Um, so it definitely feels like a stretch in a lot of ways. Um, Do you have vo- any kind of vocal training, choir, anything like that in your background? Yeah, I mean, I was in and out of singing. I mean, I've, I've been singing for my whole life, but I started like serious training when I was pretty young, stopped, started again, stopped, you know, so 
I don't have the, I don't feel like I have the same technique as someone who maybe like had a teacher for a really long time or has been in consistent lessons their whole life. But, you know, I got the basics. I know how to, how to use it, <laughs> but it could be better for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, how do you think, I mean, in general, as a musician, vocally, you know, writing lyrics, all of the whole package, how do you think you've grown since you recorded Al? I think I've grown since I recorded Al in that I'm excited about really different things and the avenues that I'm approaching writing music from are really, really different because I, you know, I'm going through this experience now where when I was a teenager, like I idolized indie rock. Like I knew, you know, what Babies All Right was from the time I was like, you know, or 15 maybe and all of these DIY venues and DIY bands that I loved were like the size that like I am now which is like not that big and they were just New York you know bands that were playing all the time playing locally and like you know gaining fan bases in New York getting small write-ups whatever it was and uh that was kind of the only goal I set for myself was to be like where I am now <laughs> and uh once Al came out and I crossed a lot of stuff off the checklist I was like shit like I had to aim higher you know what I mean like I can not even that I have to but like I can like I'm allowed to do that so I think I'm focused a lot on production and visuals in a way that I haven't before which is hilarious to say because everyone who knows me knows that I focus a lot on production and visuals but I don't know I mean I'm excited to kind of start sharing stuff hopefully when all of this is uh when it's the right time now you recently did a fundraiser so tell me about that fundraiser and what it was for and why you did it yeah so this past uh juneteenth band camp uh did a thing where they were donating their shares to the NAACT, naacp legal defense fund and we released crimson and clover on that day and decided to share our um, split of the profits with uh, for the world's uh, medical fund, which is a fund that helps um, black trans women or black trans people uh, medically transition and helps to just support them in uh, in any way that they can financially. It also helps with black trans women paying rent and black trans people paying rent. So I think especially right now, it's super important that we protect um, people who are super vulnerable <laughs> in the world right now. So it felt good to help in whatever way I could. There's been a lot of fundraisers over the last few months within the within the music industry, both for COVID relief, healthcare uh, reasons, and re more recently uh, for Black Lives Matter. How do you think the record industry, the music industry, has stepped up and handled both of those situations in terms of raising awareness and money? Hmm. It's a heavy question, I know, I know. It's a heavy question in that I feel there's a lot more stepping up that needs to be done on the part of the music industry. Um, I think there's been a lot of acknowledgement of some issues um, that have plagued the music industry for a really long time, which is good and is a, is a great step. Um, but when it comes to actually stepping up and making change systematically within the industry, there's a lot of stuff that needs to be worked on. So that's a conversation that I've been trying to start uh, through my channels, but 
you know, I'm hoping that in the next couple months we see some more updates there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So what's your what's your um your day to day like? Are you do you have a are you a regimented person in terms of, you know, I'm getting up at nine and I'm gonna write and I'm gonna do this, or are you just kind of let it happen as it happens? That is the fancy version of myself that I have in my head is the regimented one. Um, but I'm not. Um, it's been really like a wake up at between 9 and 11. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. It'd be a lot worse. You're right. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard for me sometimes to set, like give myself structure. But I'm like doing like an indoor writing retreat for myself this coming week um but i just kind of like i try to be creative in every in any way that i can like journaling is super super important to me it's just kind of a good way to write something down and not judge it or not feel like i have to put it into a song um just writing to write and i feel like that helps to keep the channel open yeah i always picture people writing songs i i picture you like right by the window with a pad and paper like like gazing longingly outside and like finding inspiration and stuff, but I know it doesn't quite happen like that. Sometimes it's like that. Well, I feel like for me, the gazing out, the equivalent of the gazing out the window, finding in, in, inspiration, wow, speaking is hard. I usually come up with lines while I'm like, well, when we could walk around, when I was walking around or when I was in class or when I was hanging out with a friend or, you know, that's kind of where the seeds of the song would start for me, you know, from having experiences of being out or looking at things and kind of touching the sentence. Um, but especially while we're not having a lot of varied experiences, you know, it's still coming to me, but I do have to sit down and, and bang out songs more, which is a really important skill for any songwriter to have, yeah. you know, it's like, it's, it's both things, you know, and I feel like the narrative of like songwriting is always either like, you know, it just happens and it just comes to me or the like, I work really hard and sit down, you know, for three hours. And it's like, it's just so much of both. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about walking around, you know, when I was getting ready for this interview last night, we did a photo shoot in the East Village a couple of years ago. And yeah. it just seems so nice and and idyllic to just be walking around the East Village on it. It was like a crisp fall day. There was, the sun was out. We didn't really care what was going on. We were just shooting pictures for the hell of it. And I hope that we find that balance, you know, where I feel like everyone's really serious right now. There's a lot of stuff going on that needs attention, but also it hopefully soon we'll be able to, to socialize and have some kind of positivity and positive interaction with each other, you know? For sure. I mean, I also think it's this thing where like, obviously nobody has any experience with what's happening with COVID and there's no way there's no way we could have prepared for that better unless you're the government and you decide not to fire the uh, pandemic division yeah um, but for all of us the rest of us who did not fire the pandemic division you know how are we supposed to prepare prepare for something like this and then I think you know when it comes to Black Lives Matter um, and everything that's happening in the world of the protests, you know, the the part of me that's kind of like, ah, oh, I wish, you know, we could just solve this. And like, you know, I wish that we could have a rest for it, for, you know, from this is also like, 
because I've been experiencing it my whole life. You know what I mean? And so many other black and brown people have, I mean, every other black and brown person has experienced all of this for our entire lives too. And this pain and devastation and anger, you know, I don't know. I think it's, it's important, but especially I think for non people of color to like kind of, kind of sit in it and be a little uncomfortable for a little while. Cause it's, you know, that's a, uh, that's just that's just Tuesday for the rest of us. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think that you know the, the big awareness, the, the the awareness aspect of it for white straight folks like me is that racism and homophobia and transphobia. There's people when they think of it, they think of you know yelling the N word or flying the Confederate flag. Really really obvious examples, but there's these, these kind of small little razor cuts that happen all the time. And I think that that is one thing that's come out of this is being aware of those smaller instances, the, the non-obvious examples of, of racism and discrimination. Right. Like the way, you know, the kind of racism and discrimination that's carried through in our language, you know, in the way that we approach, you know, dealing with issues like immigration, you know, people being like, well, you know, I love gay people, but I don't know a gay person. I wouldn't assume, or like, I have a trans best friend, but I wouldn't let them meet my kids. Like, it's this kind of stuff where we don't realize the more inherent biases we carry. You know, I've been doing this thing on my Instagram where I've been like looking at news articles and pointing out language used, you know, the, literally the verbs used to describe black people versus to describe white people. Um, and it's something that seems so small, but is actually extremely insidious and uh, harmful because, you know, who knows if this writer kind of is like, well, I'm on the right side and black lives do matter, but they're still using, you know, this black person whimpered and cried as the description of how they behaved when they were being murdered you know it's like whimpered and cried is something that you say about a dog not about a person um who's being killed uh yeah. so it's it's important um you know the same way that a lot of labels are realizing they don't have any black artists and it's not because there aren't black artists um and it's kind of you know the reasoning i've heard from a lot of people is well you know i didn't know you, i didn't know you were there or i didn't know about your band or i didn't know you know I don't know how to find uh, bands with black people in them. And it's kind of like, because you're not used to looking um, and you've probably seen a number of black bands or other people that you know, know of these bands, but you didn't take note, you know, you didn't take notice of them or you didn't um, think you needed to pay attention or you didn't listen to the music because you assumed it sounded like something else. You know, it's been really interesting kind of, I mean, for me, too, to, to unravel the white perspective around this, too, you know, seeing a lot of the people I know in the music industry and a lot of white artists grappling with this and kind of being able to be like, okay, now I understand why you responded to something the way that you did. Um, and being able to, like, stop that behavior if I can or, or you know, point that out to somebody. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just a really pivotal and hopefully you know a time of really important change right yes now. we'll we'll transition out of the heavy stuff a little bit and i'll leave you with what's the next project for pom-pom squad that people will be able to in that see or hear like what's the next thing for for the band good question 
I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think we're putting out some new merch on the mess. The mess. We're putting out some new merch on the next Bandcamp Friday, which is going to be fun, and I'm excited about it. But you know, I think right now I'm just focused on spreading awareness and information and calling people out where I can and in a compassionate but firm way. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you want, if people want to keep updated on us and what we have going on. Just follow our socials and we'll be a bit more, we'll be uh, ready with something new and we're ready with something new. Yeah, go ahead and, and tell the people where they can find you on the, on the socials. Yeah, we are at Pom Pom Squad on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Pom Pom Squad on YouTube, uh, pompomsquad.bandcamp.com on bandcamp.com and uh, Pom Pom Squad sucks with an X on Facebook. All right, great. Well, thank you so much. I'll talk to you later. I'll talk to you later. That was Mia Barron of Pom Pom Squad. It's Real with Jordan Edwards is presented by Pop Dust. Go to popdust.com for the latest in pop culture, music, and entertainment. And you can find me at jordanedwardsstudio.com or on Instagram at jordanedwardsstudio.com.